Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, that can be found on page 1076. We'll read verses 32 through verse 45. As we read this, we're wanting to pay attention to our own context. This may not immediately be seemingly relevant to an installation service where we install officers. Yet we'll see how this is very instructive for that very purpose. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing. Dear Lord, we come before you excited, excited to open your word, the word of life itself, excited to encounter you, encounter you in a very real and special way, for here we find none other than the great I Am, the great God of all power, the great God who reveals himself as a compassionate, loving God, steadfast, faithful, patient, and just. You are perfection itself, or rather we should say perfection is, is you. You are the standard of all that is right and good. And we see that in your Son so clearly in your word and in this very text where our Lord and Savior proclaimed the purpose for which he came and indeed then our purpose for living. And we pray that we would hear it, that it would change our life, that it would be a blessing to us so that it would be a gloriful praise to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Mark 10, beginning in verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to reread that last verse. That is the theme of the message this morning. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. In the classic fairy tale, Snow White, the wicked queen asks her magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest one of all? And the mirror answers. The mirror says, Famed is thy beauty, majesty, but hold, a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee. And in that fairy tale, we know what happens. That wicked queen seeks to destroy one who might be fairer than her. She seeks to be the fairest of them all. She seeks to have that, that level, that position. Now, in our text, we see a certain request. And though the sons of Zebedee are not asking who is the fairest, they are asking a similar question. And though they don't have a magic mirror to ask, they are making a request of their Lord. And what do they ask? But who is the greatest? Who can be the greatest? That's really what their desire is. They know that Christ will be on, on the throne. They believe that, at least. Maybe we, we, we can give them that much, that they trust that the Lord will be in, and in, in, he will reign. He will be on the throne. And so they ask for those positions of power, one on his right and one on his left, the next most powerful positions. They desire to be great. They desire to, re, to secure their position with an outrageous request. Asking this of the Lord. The reason this text works well for a service where we see office bearers installed, and this isn't a sermon only for office bearers. Everything that is said of an officer is something that we are to take and apply to ourselves as, as congregants, as members. But it is addressed in this sense to officers as first and foremost, those who must keep this, must practice this even as we read in the form that they are to be first among those who portray what is the word of God, what is the law of God, what is right. And so this text is asking the question of greatness. It's even asking the question, really, who is the greatest, who can be the greatest in God's kingdom and the church? It's a good question, terribly asked. Great question. It should have been phrased something more like, Lord, how, how can we serve you in the best way? And they would have got the same answer. But see, they, they weren't after the service to God. They weren't after the right way. They were after the position, the power. What we see here is very similar to what that, that fairy tale shows. The fairy tale shows that rags cannot hide her gentle grace. That's, that's the, the answer, that though she may be in rags, this princess, this fairy tale, she is more fair than me. And I'm not trying to, to say this is the point of the, the, that Snow White or something's an allegory. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying even in this fairy tale, there's this message. There's an understanding that, that greatness and beauty doesn't necessarily mean the, the clothing doesn't necessarily mean the appearance or something more. And in a very similar way, what is greatness in the kingdom? It's to wear rags. It is to cast off the clothing and apparel of power. It is to cast off those desires. And it is to be least. It is to be, in one sense, of no account. 
looking for nothing for yourself but service to God and the service to all, to be a slave of all. There is greatness. There is your task as church officers, to be foremost as a slave, to be foremost in giving of yourself, and as the very text is saying, to be foremost in dying to self. Boys and girls, have you ever heard that term, that you need to die to self? What does that mean? Well, it really means you need to put others first. It really means you put to death yourself in the way that you are willing not to get your way, but rather to help another person. Not to insist that you are the most important, that you deserve what's best, but rather give of even what you have, the things that you prize most, give it to others. Give of yourself. And we'll see this as we go through this text. Our first point this morning is the danger of greatness. And then we'll see that we are to die to self. So first, the danger of greatness. We need to look inside ourselves to seek to uproot these proud desires, to seek to investigate our own selves, because we are no different. We are not that far removed from the sons of Zebedee themselves. We could probably say of most of our heart's intentions that we're just more cowardly than James and John. They were willing to go and ask God that question. Maybe we're not willing to go and phrase it that way, but we still seek the same, even as the rest of the disciples did. How often don't the Gospels present? What did the disciples do? The disciples were seemingly always arguing among themselves, who is the greatest? Who's the greatest? They would argue among themselves that question. Who's closer to Christ? Who should receive more power and authority? Who's going to be greater in influence when Jesus is on his throne? Likely they had a warped understanding of what the kingdom of God was. Well, not likely they did have a warped understanding of what the kingdom of God was. They didn't get it. Their question shows it. In one sense, their question is a nonsensical question. Why is it a nonsensical question? Because in a kingdom where greatness is only achieved by self-sacrifice, they're asking to be put in the position of power through pride. In a kingdom where it is dying to self and giving of yourself, where the very king of that kingdom gave more than anyone else, thus raised to the highest extent, they're saying, can we be by you at your side, not by giving, but by taking? They don't get the nature of the kingdom. They don't even understand that that's not what the kingdom is. And so it's this nonsensical question. You can't achieve greatness in this kingdom through taking. We often seek to do just that. Very subtly. Again, we don't boldly come in prayer and and say, Lord, make me better than everyone else. But that's the way we operate. Even if we don't think of that, we seek to take the highest positions. We seek to take the positions that are more in keeping with our comfort, that are more in keeping with what suits us. Most of us, and we group all of ourselves there, We all do this. Most of us like to place ourselves on the throne of our little kingdom and we maybe serve homage, pay lip service to to Jesus. But we don't want to die to self. 
We don't want to give of all of what we are and who we are. We don't want to give of our comfort and our security, the best that we have to offer of our treasures. And I don't just mean earthly possessions. That's included, but the best of our time, the best of our gifts and strength, will we give that to others? You see, we want to use that for ourselves. That's why it is a great burden on, on officers who are called to exemplify this, to exemplify of giving of themselves in such a way that, that the, the congregants, that God's people, that we could see that that is how service in the kingdom is done, to give of your time, of yourself, of your strength, of your gifts, of your life. What a hard task. What a weighty one, but what a blessed task. As we think of church office today, we look at this passage and it gives us that proper understanding. You see, this first point is getting at the the danger of greatness. What do I mean by that? Well, there's two ways of seeing it. Well, first, the danger of greatness in the pride of desiring it. It's dangerous because it is so antithetical. It's so against what God has put before us. It's so against the example that Jesus gave to us. It's so anti-kingdom. It's so anti-Christ. It's dangerous, the pride. The pride that would desire high positions and for church officers to desire a position of authority for authority's sake because you want to be looked upon and respected. It's dangerous to operate in such a way, to operate in your office in a proud way is very dangerous. You are judged even in a sense, not even even in a sense, you're judged stricter by God because of the office you hold. So it's dangerous to enter that office in pride It must be in humility. The question James and John ask is very dangerous and destructive. We have sayings. We have sayings that exemplify the fact that the more power you have, the more you're corrupted. Power corrupts. We see it. It's dangerous to hold authority as sinners. And so we're always called to turn to Christ, to turn to this passage and see what greatness according to God is. What greatness according to God is, is sacrifice. Giving of all yourself. And so it's dangerous. It's dangerous in that way. But what's the other way it's dangerous? It's dangerous in what it requires. It's dangerous to desire it in pride for for what it might mean in your judgment, what it might mean in the standard by which you're judged. But it's dangerous to be great in the kingdom because it means sacrifice. Those two points are are closely related, but the one gets at it from from an area of sin, and the other way gets at an area from true service. It's dangerous even as doing it well, doing it for service, because you understand what's required to give of yourself. To give as Jesus gave for us. He is the example. He's the one we follow. The way the Gospel of Mark is structured helps us to see the, the sheer pride and ignorance of their request. Look at your text. We read verses 32 through 34. It precedes the, the, the segment of the request of James and John. In that initial build-up to this, and the, whether or not this proceeded chronologically in time and sequence, the way Mark formulated the gospel the way he ordered it was for a point. And so right before putting the, the this request from James and John, he describes what Jesus is doing in going to Jerusalem. Jesus turns his attention to Jerusalem. It's a very significant point in all the gospels when Jesus turns his attention to Jerusalem. He's heading now to his death. 
He is heading now for that final sacrifice. He turns his face there and he says them, he is going he says to them he's going to be turned over to the chief priests and scribes. They're going to mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him, and after 3 days he will rise. He gives them the answer. He gives them what's going to happen. Portraying his final suffering, the the full extent of hell that Christ would face. And immediately following that, In Jesus' purpose statement, this is why I came. James and John say, can we have these positions of power? As one pastor said, it's like telling someone who just told you they have a terminal disease. Well, what about all your stuff? That's what it's like as as Mark puts this narrative together. Portraying that heart, Jesus came to die to give all of himself his very life. And James and John say, well, when you do that, can we we have that, that position of power next to you? And again, this isn't to cast the blame on James and John. James and John are an example of the very sin we fight against, the very sin we face. Desire for our own position or power, a desire for what we want. You see, all desiring of a powerful position doesn't necessarily mean you want to hold the position of power. What do I mean? We want our desired position. Maybe your desired position is not church office, nor even a position of authority of any kind, but rather to just be left alone. Just be by yourself. Maybe that's the position you want. And this text still speaks to that. Why? Because that's denying the text. Because you're not doing this. You're not giving of yourself. You're not sacrificing. You didn't come to serve in the kingdom. You don't want to do that. And in that way, you are desiring the throne of your little kingdom to just be left alone. To not have to give. You see, this text is more than just desiring power in that way. And we can think, no, I don't do that. I don't desire that. I don't want any part of that. But do you want any part of service? Do you want to put on rags and be a slave? None of us want that, and that's the battle. That's what we face. James and John want to sit on thrones of power All the while, Jesus knows he has come to hang on a cross, displaying in a worldly sense weakness and shame. And then Jesus responds to them, Are you able to drink this cup? Be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? This cup that Jesus refers to is a cup of wrath. Psalm 75, 7 and 8 uses this terminology. It says, It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. The cup that Jesus is going to take is wrath. The wickedness of the earth to be drained down to the dregs. That's the cup that Christ will take. And then what is this baptism Jesus refers to? What is the baptism language? Baptism was used of the flood waters of judgment on the earth. The earth was baptized in the flood. It was cleansed. The world was flooded with waters of judgment that condemned wickedness. 
The crossing of the Red Sea in God's word is referred to a baptism. It was a baptism of death, a death unto life. It was death that the Israelites walked into in the Red Sea, and the language of the text says that they were baptized into Moses. It was their mediator Moses that baptized them through it. He led them through death. The Egyptians faced the same waters of that baptism and were destroyed. None were left. The baptism that Jesus faced is judgment. It's wrath. And he says, can you take this cup? The cup that required the giving of the most, the most service, can you take that? And they say, we are able. And it's so easy here to to want to just be like, these guys, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. We are able, we're able to do that, even though we are no different. But here we see the beauty of God's word and Jesus' answer. It's likely that if we were in Jesus' position, we probably would have slapped them or something. So what are you saying? You're, you're kidding, right? How arrogant are you to think that you can be baptized and drink this cup? That's not what Jesus says. Rather, their request that comes to him like little boys. And why do I say it comes to him like they're little boys? Well, they're juvenile. They're, they're juvenile in a sense. First, they ask, as you'll see in the text, grant to us whatever we ask before they ask it. It's just a cheap way of trying to get what they want. Grant to us whatever we ask. That's a juvenile way of doing it, but their very desire is a juvenile way. But again, rather than, rather than responding to them in that way and, and, and just shaming them in one sense, that's not what Christ does. Christ says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Even though they don't know it yet, they will suffer the sufferings of Christ when eventually they do get it when eventually they do serve of themselves and they give up of their life, when they are Christ's apostles, when they do provide the foundation of the church as the rest of the apostles do, they do give of themselves, and they, are, they do suffer. And in that way, they suffer the same, not the same degree, nor can they accomplish what Christ did. No, they cannot take the baptism and the wrath of God and bear it themselves. That's not what Christ is saying, but Christ is saying you will, in being joined to me and in serving me, you will be baptized and drink the same cup. They will even exemplify it in a way as they give of all themselves. So They don't understand it yet, but Christ says this is what they will do. But in answer to their original request, Jesus says, But to sit in my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. What is Christ saying? Christ is saying the Father has appointed that, that Jesus is not responsible for it. But what he's also doing is he's saying, I have come as a slave. It is not for me to grant positions of power. I have come to die. That's why I am here. I have not come to dish out the spots next to me on my throne. I have not come to do that. That is for those who the Father has prepared. That is not why I have come. Christ exemplifies perfectly the slave of all. The one who will be king of the whole universe. And James and John are asking us, give us those positions of power. And Christ says, that's not why I came. I came to die. To give all of myself. The Father has prepared these things. The Father will reward as he has ordained it to be. And as far as, well, 
What about those questions we think? Who's going to be on the throne next to him? I, I would suggest it's wise not to go there and to follow what Jesus has said, who God will glorify, if he will glorify in that way, if there will be anyone next to Jesus in that sense. That is for the Father to decide, and it is not for us to speculate. It is a secret thing, and the secret things belong to God. Don't waste mental time on thinking, who's going to be there? He's going to be filling those roles. The only role that matters is Christ. The only seat that matters is the throne, and Christ occupies it. He fills it. All the rest are in service to him. All the rest are miles beneath what Christ has done. So let's not seek that, or even to seek to speculate and understand. So this is the danger, the danger of greatness. Christ exemplifies it perfectly. He faced the full danger of kingdom greatness. The full danger of kingdom greatness is being one of sacrifice and death. Christ faced it and received then the greatest position. So secondly, a slave of all. These points are very intertwined, but we look at this, a slave of all. We're to understand that the church is not the place where you come to determine who is the best. The church is not the place where you come to find the greatest position it's not the place where you come to have your pride stoked. It is the place to give of yourself. It's not the place to come and shout for yourself. You see, we deceive ourselves and fail to see how we behave often in that way. We are prepared to die on hills from which we should retreat and retreat on the hills upon which we should die. Let's say that again. We are prepared to die on hills from which we should retreat and retreat on the hills upon which we should die. What do I mean? James and John are willing to put all of themselves forward for positions of power. They're willing to risk the frustration and anger of the Lord. They definitely risk the, their appearance in front of the other disciples who are mad, not because they're righteous, probably because they're just mad that James and John got around them to do this. But they risk this. They risk this. They're willing to, in essence, die on the hill of their power and authority, of their position and standing. That's a hill from which they should retreat. And the hill upon which they should have died, which was to stand by Christ when he was forsaken by all, they flee. Willing to die on the hills they should not, but retreating from the hills on which they should die. And that is what we do ourselves. We are willing to fight for our positions of power. We are willing to fight for our pride if we're slighted in any way. We're willing to die on that. We will always be in our natural sin, willing to die for our honor and our pride, but that's the hill from which we should run. And the hill upon which we should die is service. Giving of ourselves in perhaps literal death, if not literal of giving and of dying to self, a selflessness. How seldom are we willing to do that? How seldom are we willing to exemplify exactly what Christ did in that verse, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life. We should prioritize Christ above all things. In the church, to be first is to be last. Christ-like leadership is profound. And God's design in the church, this is a beautiful design. The strong protect the weak. 
turns Darwin on its head, doesn't it? The strong protect the weak. Those who are strongest in faith often have the worst of it. Those who are most mature must bear with the immaturity of others and most often do. Those who are willing to give of themselves and serve and sacrifice often have more placed upon them because of it. Those who are most faithful end up being the ones who sacrifice most and often in that process receive the least praise or reward. But isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what Christ did? That in God's church, he would have the best of us be the one to give of themselves. And don't be content to sit and say, well, okay, that, that's good as long as I'm in. I don't need to give of myself. I don't need to be the best of us. This is something we strive for. We strive for greatness. Don't get this, don't get this wrong. We strive for kingdom greatness. But as this text defines it, what we're striving for is a giving of ourselves as Christ gave. How amazing. This verse did not initially strike me even as I prepared the text. It didn't strike me because I was so familiar with it. But the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. What a verse. Christ came to serve. This is the calling of officers. You are under shepherds. You are those who lead and guide and shepherd the sheep the way Christ wants, the way that Christ does. Serve and give of yourself. In congregation, this is a calling to you yourselves. This verse is not absent to the same declaration to you to give of yourself of all yourself. And so when the hard visit, the difficult call, the painful decision is made, you do it not because it's honoring to you, not because it's fun. You do it because you are giving of yourself to God and to the people. Verse 45 presents so well the motto of the Christian life. What is a motto? The motto is the way in which you operate, the way in which you live. The branches of the military all have mottos. The army says, this will defend. That's their motto, this will defend. The Marines say, semper fi, or always faithful. The Air Force says, aim high, fly, fight, win. The Coast Guard says, always ready. Well, what are the soldiers of the cross? What is our motto? Not to be served, but to serve for God's glory. Not to be served, but to serve for God's glory. Glory, and you need to ask yourself, am I just one who's being served? Is everyone giving of themselves to me and I give nothing back? Does that exemplify Christ? Not to be served, but to serve? Sinclair Ferguson writes about church leadership, about officers about the way of the church. He says, The way of the disciple is different from the way of the world. In the kingdom of God, true greatness is measured by our service, not by the number of our servants. It is seen not in how high up the ladder we have climbed, but how far down the ladder we are prepared to climb for the sake of others. True discipleship has at its heart letting go of, our, of desires for honor in this world in order to bestow honor on others. It's hard to preach this. 
It's hard to preach something that you know you fail at all the time. It's hard as officers, as elders and deacons, to function in an office where you never reach this ideal. And that's all right, as long as we are striving for it. As long as that's our goal in service to Christ in recognition that Christ has done what we could not. He did drink the cup. And our baptism, in the same way he was, us drinking the same cup he did, is in service to him. We will not portray this perfectly, for only Christ could. And that's, that's, not, that's, that's what the intent of the text is saying about Christ. The Bible never presents that we are able to achieve it, but it still presents that as our goal and as our standard. With all this weightiness in the call... I want to end on what is an encouragement to those who have just been installed, to those who are serving as officers, and even for us as members who seek to live this way. Reverend Vanderhart at the recent Mid-America graduation said something that others have said as well. God does not call those who are equipped. He equips those he calls. God does not call those who are equipped. He equips those he calls. Be encouraged. Be encouraged for in seeing your weakness and turning to the Lord, you find strength. In desiring to serve and seeing that you do not, you can seek him for strength and thus serve. God equips those he calls to service, otherwise none could do it. But in that service and in that labor of serving, there is great fruit and look no further than Christ who by dying for all saved the many, who through his sacrifice gained more fruit than can even be imagined. And though at times greatness in the kingdom might seem like just a waste of time because there doesn't seem to be an earthly reward to it, that doesn't mean there isn't fruit. There is. There's great reward. There's great fruit. It is, after all, the most worthy calling for any of us to serve Christ's kingdom and to do that by dying to self. I want to end with just those words, the last verse. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In this text, we, we read, we hear what you uttered so many years ago in response to a rather a, a ridiculous, audacious request, one that sadly we ourselves find in our hearts. In response to such a request, you gave your, your purpose, your purpose for coming to serve, to give of yourself. It's so beautiful to see it. So beautiful to know that our King is he who loves us enough to take upon himself the rags. It is so beautiful to see that our great God is he who descended into the great, the great competition, the great, the great portrayal of greatness, who will be greatest in the kingdom and, and showed that it is through sacrifice and you became greatest by giving more than any could give. We praise you for that. And we ask, we ask that you would give us the same spirit that is yours, 
the Holy Spirit you have given us to dwell in us, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sanctify us, that we would desire to give of ourselves. We pray that you would especially equip the leaders of this church, all of us who bear office, that you would help us to rule in that way as sacrifice of servants, of slaves, and that we as your people and members of the church would function the same, giving of ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.